looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Mmm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm -mm Mmm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. Hey, I know we have a lot of horror fans that listen to our shows, and I know things have been tough for everybody across the board these past six or seven months with what's been going on in the real world, but I wanted to make a suggestion to you horror fans, because I know part of the normal routine year in and year out is to attend different conventions to meet some of your favorite horror stars. However, none of us have been able to do that because of obvious reasons. But I do have a little suggestion for you. SignatureHorror.com Now, some may ask, what is that? Well, they obtain autographs for the fans from some of their favorite stars, from some of their favorite franchises. Whether it be the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and many more. They have different options such as, besides getting their autographs, you can do live Zoom calls with your favorite stars. You can do personalized videos for people, greetings of some sort. They just have many options. So if you're looking for to spend some money that you may have spent at conventions, check them out and see the options they have SignatureHorror.com That's right, SignatureHorror.com
thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. <laughs> now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting now that's what I call depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars. Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend whilst in Sail Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. This is Stacy Nelkin and this is Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in a podcast world, your croc, Jonathan Steele. And boy do we have a good one for you today. Life is certainly full of a broad range of emotions as it's part of the DNA or anatomy of being a human being. This accomplished actress currently assists others in real-life relationship issues, and she is well-known for her leading role in the 1982 cult classic horror film, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. However, she has a diversity that she has been seen in full-length feature comedies as well as TV series such as Generations, Chips, The A-Team, Eight is enough, first and ten, and many, many more. This guest, Stacy Nelkin. Stacy, welcome. How are you? And how are you handling uh lockdown life? <laughs> um I'm doing fine, thank you for asking. Um, I have three kids. It's been wonderful having them all around because uh, my two older kids would not be around as much um, at all. Uh, I have a 19-year-old and a 22-year-old, almost 22, um, and a 16-year-old who is now around. So it's, um, 
it's really nice to have the family together. Crazy at times, um, but I, I'm kind of enjoying it. I think, um, I think it's forcing everybody to go inward a little more. And uh, I'm doing a lot of hiking, a lot of running, uh, a lot of reading. Um, I'm working as well as a substance abuse counselor. Um, so I'm, I'm in, I'm actually keeping very busy and cooking a lot. My cooking's gotten really so much better. (laughs) Too much practice. (laughs) There you go. How about you? How are you handling it? And what about you, Alana? How are you handling it? Um, Ireland has just gone into uh, a level five lockdown. So it's our our second, um, lockdown. So we're restricted for six weeks. So all the the stores and everything are closed except for um, necessary things like, you know, food and things like that. So we're all, you know, taking it seriously and staying at home and wearing masks. And yeah, it's scary. Lines for the food stores because of that or? There, there is, um, but it's very regulated and there's hand sanitizer, there's masks. Right, right. It's not as big as obviously America, so it's right. a, it's kind of good that way. But right. people are are kind of obeying what's going on. It's it's very very. I'm I'm lucky to be living at home at the moment, so I am loving you know spending time with the family like you. It's right. very. Um, I'm kind of thankful for it too because it's like everything has slowed down. You kind of get a time to to kind of find yourself again, and it's exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Yep. yep. Well, you know it's funny. Elena, you mentioned something to me earlier what as far as, <laughs> you know, because obviously most people know Stacy from Halloween uh-huh. 3, but yeah. there was a little trivia thing there that I didn't know, not, oh, being, right. I- not being Irish, <laughs> that she brought up to me. What was that? Oh, yeah. It's like the reason I really love Halloween 3 is because the actor pronounced uh, Samhain correctly. Um, love so, it. So like every other one says Sam Hain as if he's like this guy called Sam Hain. And it really, really annoys me. And as an Irish person, it was so refreshing to actually have it depicted accurately and you know the Irish culture and things like that so yeah it's pronounced Samhain <laughs> and he was very, very good. Was that Dan O'Hurlihy by any chance? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. of course he would know it yeah I um and am I getting your name right it's Elena it's- Elena, yeah, Elena. Elena, Elena. Yeah. Okay, I want to get your name right. That's not as tough as Samhain. It's like, yeah. what's that actress? She's wonderful. What's her name? Um, the famous Irish actress now. She was in The Little Women. Oh, Saoirse, Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse. Okay, see, I would, uh, yeah, it's a tough language, I would say. <laughs> read it and pronounce it properly. Okay. Well, the only thing I know is Guinness, but that's a whole other. <laughs> And that's worth knowing. Yes. It is worth knowing. (laughs) uh, You know, anything related to drinking. Mm -hmm. Which, unfortunately, have been doing a little more homebound, but that's a whole nother (laughs) story for another time. I think you're not alone. And I am a substance abuse counselor if you want to talk later. (laughs) Well, you know, all kidding aside about it, you know, because that can be a 
serious uh, topic and such. How did you go that direction? Um, how did I go that direction? I started taking classes um, in drama therapy uh, because my acting career was kind of drying up. We had just moved back to New York and there was a certificate program at the new school and I took these amazing classes. I thought, well, great, this marry my acting and all my years of therapy, because I came from an incredibly dysfunctional home. My father, even though my parents were divorced when I was very little, um, was a heroin addict. Um, and he died um, from substance abuse uh, when I was 17. Um, so I took these classes and then I interned at New York Presbyterian working with mentally ill, chemically addicted patients. And I loved it. And I thought, this is, this is what I want to do. And then I found out, well, no, not only do you need a bachelor's degree, but you need a master's degree of which I have neither because I was acting, you know, since I was 16 years old professionally and I never finished college. I did little bits here and there or many bits. Um, so, but I found out you can get a, 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 um, a certificate to be a substance abuse counselor um, with just a high school diploma and, uh, and 6,000 hours, which I did. Um, I worked at a place in New York called The Bridge and, um, and I loved it. And I still love it. Now I'm working at a residence with women and um, I love it. I love helping and I love understanding because I think, you know, we've all had, not, not all of us, but most of us have had some trauma in our backgrounds, which can be the root of certainly substance abuse, uh, alcohol abuse, sex, food, any kind of abuse, anything that's, you know, kind of off. So I find it really interesting. I'll just take over. Okay, go ahead. Um, I was going to say, um, what was it like working on Murder, She Wrote? Oh, oh, that was really fun because I got to play the villain, yeah. um, which I never get to play. I always was getting cast, you know, the nice girl roles. And, you know, every actress wants to let the inner bitch come out. It's fun, you know, even though I couldn't play that character that way because it had to be a surprise. Um, and Angela Lansbury is the most gracious, wonderful human being. Have you met her? I, I, uh, I wouldn't say I met her, but she came to Dublin for an interview. Mm. And I like I was literally standing in front of her while she's been interviewed. So I yeah. technically met her. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. We're close. <laughs> yeah, but she was like 93 during the interview and she was so amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. So amazing. She, she is incredibly sharp and gracious and what a memory. And uh, yeah, she was she was really something. <laughs> Really something. Am I awesome. back? You're yes, back. you are. Welcome back. Uh, we try. What I was going to ask, and thank you, Elena, for jumping in there. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's why she gets paid the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but was going to ask there with the uh, counseling. Yeah. It's, you, you brought up about how 
that mental health and substance abuse go kind of hand in hand. Oh yeah. It, you know, it's amazing, especially when you look at big picture like that. But I was also going to ask because of your background that you said you had, do you feel that gives you a little more credibility? And when you're talking to these folks, because you're not just going stuff you learn in a book that you can say, you can draw from your personal experience. Right, right. No, that's a great question. Right now, I'm working with um, most of my colleagues are hardcore ex-addicts, which is, you know, I had my own issues, not related, you know, when I got this job, they asked me, are you in recovery? And I said, yeah, but I didn't say from substance abuse, I'm in recovery from some other things. You know, I had a an eating disorder wild for, for many, many years. Um, uh, and uh, sex, sex and love, I use sex uh, for all kinds of distractions. Um, and so I had my own issues of trying to fill that void. And, you know, the, the uh, anxiety and the, you know, all of that. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I get it. I understand it. It's not identical. My dad would have been able to uh, say, oh, yeah, those withdrawal symptoms or, oh, yeah, you know, going anywhere for that drug. Yeah, I got it. And he took me with him on a lot of those trips, which was also kind of uh, shocking, you know, when I was a teenager before he died, you know, scoring coke here or, you know, whatever there. Um, you know, I had a pretty crazy background. You know, that's interesting. Uh, even though it wasn't your vice per se, it was your va your father's. Yeah. But when did you say you realized, hey, Houston, we have a problem here or dad has an issue here? Oh, my God. I remember when I was like six years old and my dad and his who, the woman who became his second wife, my mom was the enabler. So she never did it with him. But she also, you know, I guess she tried to help him. And when I was very little, we lived in Europe. In Switzerland, he was sent to a clinic, and my older brother and I and my mother went. Um, I didn't know. I, I remember being there. I didn't know he was in a big detox clinic there. Um, but, you know, like most addicts, he kept relapsing. But I remember when I was six years old, and he took me and my brother away for a weekend, and, um, and he was so high, he was trying to blow dry his hair and he wound up blow drying the hair of the dog he had with him and then the wallpaper. And, you know, it was just this thing. It was so off that my brother and I would giggle and laugh, but we knew dad is not right. Dad, you know, when he would be stumbling and kind of nodding out. And so we knew, Oh, and then when I was, you know, before he died the year I was, um, I was 17. I was dating Woody at that time. I was um, in my senior year of high school and I would go out to lunch with my dad because I had finished all my requirements. So I only had like half a day. So I'd meet him for lunch. And during lunch, he would have probably 
five vodkas with beer chasers. That was just lunchtime. But I think he had so much cocaine and other stuff in his system that he didn't seem drunk. He just, you know, so he would put it away. Um, but I remember looking at that, you know, and going, wow, that's an awful lot of alcohol and whatever else was, you know, in him. But, you know, I mean, the first time I got really high was with my dad and my mom <laughs> when they were arguing over, you know, financial support for me and my brother. And he's passing a joint. I was 13 and some strong stuff. So, you know, it was um, it was not a, a healthy childhood, but it got me where it got me, you know. Um, it literally turned out the exact opposite of what you would think would happen. I'm so impressed and like in awe of you, Stacey. Oh, you're very sweet. Well, it took many decades of, of therapy and, you know, good friends um, who, you know, I always sought out, you know, yeah, and I'm blessed, resilient, but yeah, you know, but, but we're all more resilient than we realize, I think, you know. And we get tested with these little things here and there, you know? And you just so happen to be tested earlier on in life. Right, right. Yeah. But you mentioned his name there that you actually did date. And I didn't realize this until last night and doing some homework. Really? Okay. Yeah, that you dated Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. And obviously there was a big age difference there between the two of you. Right. But well, so what was it about Woody that attracted you to him? But also, you know, because you hear different stories, and I know some were blown out of proportion. That's the way that shows were at the time. Uh, as far as like the where Mia Farrow asked you, it you were fifteen, right? No, I wasn't. You know, just right. some of the drama. But what was it, the positive about Woody that, wow, hey, I like that guy. Right. Well, so I met him uh, when he cast me in Annie Hall. And uh, I had a wonderful part, a very small part, but an important part. And it's in his book, he talks about this character who was his real life cousin when he was a little kid. Um, and, uh, anyway, we were, we were very comfortable together. And then on the set, you know, we were, there was just this comfort. And then he told me, my mom, for some reason, came to the set. She never went on one aud audition with me, which I started when I was 14, you know, um, and when I was 16, I got this part. So we, it was unusual that she was there. But she came on the set. I don't know, maybe she wanted to meet him herself because um, I certainly didn't know who he was when I was cast in the movie because I was into the old 1940s and 30s movies. So I didn't know his stuff. But um, he invited us to hear him play music. And um, so my mom and I went. And I was about to go off to Europe that summer to study French and he sat me next to him and during every, in between every set, he came and he sat and he talked to me and, you know, was very interested in where I was going and what am I doing and, you know, all of that kind of thing. And when we left, my mother said, oh, I think he likes you. And 
she said it just like that. She didn't say, I think he likes you. Oh my God, you know, what's wrong with him or whatever. But you got to remember, my mom was only 18 years older than I am. Woody was older than she was. Um, And she was never really a mother. She was more of a uh, a big sister, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> she, she, she was not a terrific mom. She's a good person, but not, not really there. Um, and so, you know, her reaction kind of condoned it in a way. And so, um, oddly enough, a week later, I was walking up Madison Avenue, and I had just finished shooting, don't forget. So I knew all the crew, and I saw people, and I went, I know these people. Wait, I just worked with them. And I walked up and one of the ADs said, oh my God, I got to tell Woody you're here. And he brought Woody right over and we started talking and he said, well, look, if you'd ever like to go to a movie or something, here's my number. And, you know, don't tell anybody I'm giving you my number because he was always very private. It wasn't because of my age. It was just, you know, People knew who he was. I didn't, but people did. <laughs> and, um, and I called him because my parents were out of town that weekend. And this is right before I went to Europe. And then, you know, we had a very nice night. Nothing really happened. And then when I came back from Europe, his assistant called me and said, Mr. Allen would like to take you out to dinner. And I'll tell you, you know, I was 17. I was incredibly impressed. He sent his Rolls Royce around, you know, his driver came and picked me up, brought me to his apartment. We went out for dinner. You know, it was, you know, I felt special. And I was always into daddy figures. I, I was the girl who always had the crush on the teacher, not the cute boy or the counselor, not, you know, not the cute boys my age. Cause like that, I didn't know what to do with them. So it just kind of happened, you know, and it was, and then I was really having feelings for him. Um, then uh, a year later, I had just turned 18. They flew me out to California to do California Dreaming, this picture. And, um, and I wound up staying because there was so much work there for me. And I, you know, had these fantastic agents and I worked nonstop, but I also met all these, you know, guys who, you know, were good looking and were, you know, older, but I was like, oh my God, yeah. (laughs) Whereas with Woody, it wasn't quite that same kind of thing. Um, There was a comfort with him and a security, but it wasn't that passion, you know. Um, and, And then I met Perry King and I wound up falling in love with him and Woody asked me if we could get more serious and I broke up with him and that was how that went down. But we be, we stayed friends for forever. We're still friends. Um, and you know, I, it, it pains me to see him having gone through this whole child molestation case. Um, now he certainly screwed up by being with Sunni um, because of all people, you know, he didn't have to date his girlfriend's adopted daughter, um, you know, and yet they're together, you know, 30 years they're together. But, you know, I think I do judge him. The whole world judged him certainly for that one. But Mia is insane. I've met her with him. She is truly 
a very crazy human being. And she said to him, you took away my daughter, meaning Sunni, I'm going to take away yours. And she proceeded to trump up this whole case about Dylan, which is disgusting. And he became canceled. He's basically canceled, you know, in this lovely cancel culture that we're going through. And you guys are young. I don't know how old you are, Jonathan, but Elena, you look really young. And I, I feel for both of you. How old do you think I am? 30, maybe? Yeah, I'll be 30 in March. Okay. 36. And, <laughs> how old are you, 36? Yeah. You guys are young and you're like right in the thick of this, this craziness. It's a very crazy time right now. So, um, you know, you can't say anything about any, anybody <laughs> without, without people jumping on it and then you're canceled, right? Yeah. And so for Woody, this kind of action, oh my God done, done over, done with, you know, and it's crazy. But anyway, um, yeah, that's my long story. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's all good. Uh, He seems like, and you can tell us better than what we would see in the public eye, at least, or on news shows or entertainment shows and such. Right. I've always gotten the vibe that he would be not because you said he does music and other things. He's eclectic, but he's also introverted. Oh, yeah. Would I get that very right? Very shy. He's very shy. Very shy. Yeah. yeah. Well, we were, or I should say, we are doing this a couple of days from, and yes, we had the song <laughs> on the intro there. Oh, I missed it. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you'll hear how many days till Halloween. Right. So obviously I heard, because we know everything on the internet is true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, That you aren't actually a horror fan. Um, Yeah, that's true. Because (laughs) they scare the crap out of me. And I don't really like to be scared. I had so much... um, I felt so unsafe growing up with a, a kind of very young and immature and crazy mom and a dad who was off doing drugs. There was nobody really minding the store, you know? And, um, and I, I had so much internal anxiety. Uh, and then when I was um, of age and the movie came out, I went to see The Exorcist. And literally, I couldn't sleep for about three weeks. It had scared me so much, those images. You know, I'm somebody, I like, I like romantic comedies. I like dramas, whatever. But I like happy endings. And I don't like seeing heads cut off and people scaring people. Because for me, when I was a young girl, I always thought there was somebody under the bed were in the closet and I couldn't sleep until I'd open and close those doors and checked under the bed five times. <laughs> so to see a movie that triggers all that, I, that, why <laughs> pay for it? You know, it's like roller coasters. I don't go on them. I've done it twice. And I thought I was going to die. Literally thought I was going to die. Well, and, looking through the paperwork or the it. script and stuff, what made you go? Okay. Let me take this gig because I know you were yeah. kind of coaxed to it. 
Right. Well, so good question. So, you know, I mentioned Perry. Perry and I had fallen madly in love. We met, he was married, he left his wife. We met doing a miniseries called The Last Convertible. And on that show, um, there was a makeup artist who Perry, I think, brought on because Perry had worked with him multiple times, a man named Ron Walter. And Ron became the makeup artist for Halloween 3. They hired him before, you know, because they always hire, you know, pre-production. And Perry, because he had left his wife, was living with Ron um, because Ron had a big, huge spare apartment, uh, spare bedroom in his huge apartment in the Hollywood Hills. And so I would see Ron every day because Perry and I would get together and, you know, it was that kind of thing. And um, Ron had been cast and he would keep bringing up the movie Halloween 3 and he'd say, Stacy, they don't have the lead yet. You know, they're really desperate. Want, no, 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 thanks, no, thanks. And then they were getting down to the wire. And I said, all right, just, you know, I told my agent, um, and at the time I was with Creative Artists Agency, I said, have them send me the script. And I read the script and I got the part of Ellie because she was fun, she was feisty. I loved the character and I went, this I could do. And I went in and I, and I auditioned and literally as I was walking in the door, taking my coat off from the audition, uh, the phone was ringing. In those days, we had phones that rang that were not attached to our body. <laughs> or to wall. And, um, the, uh, and they said, it was my agent saying, you got the part. They loved you. They want you to do it. And, you know, first of all, to be so wanted is always a big thing. <laughs> because all of us actors and actresses are so, you know, needy and messed up. And, um, and it was such a great part. And literally two days later, we were shooting. Um, so it was, messed up part. <laughs> yeah. it? I was going to say the needy part as well. I'm, I'm trying to follow my acting dreams as well. So oh. it's it just like hearing this is so refreshing to know that we're all the same. Well, I think we all go into these kind of professions for number one, we it's a way to express ourselves, but also to get a certain kind of love that's more than just from one person. It's from a lot of people. It's it's that kind of affirmation, and and I also think now I don't know about you, but I know you know all my actor and actress friends are you know we're all pretty crazy and dysfunctional. I think in a certain way the business is so dysfunctional that it mirrors. I know for me, it mirrored my family. It's like, I could be the best little girl or I could be the best damn actress and the perfect one for the part and I still won't fucking get it because so-and-so's daughter got it or you know, the producer's wife got you know, whatever it is. And it's that not fair and it's that, you know, um, that always hard to get and, you know, it just mirrors this kind of dysfunction. So, good luck to you. <laughs> um, Sometimes a little shot to the ego. Your what? Sometimes a little shot to the ego there. <laughs> oh, a lot of shots to the ego. Exactly. Thank you for bringing that up. Of course, all that rejection, you know, and I'll show you all that you please love me. I'm so good and, you know, not. But yeah, so a lot of rejection, but you got to get a tough skin, you know, you got to get thick skin 
and and toughen up and just go, okay. But somewhere along the line, you changed. You stopped being you. You let people stick a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for something to blame, like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you gotta be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you wanna be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. You know, um, let it roll off you, but it's hard. <laughs> so, Well, obviously there's a lot of flack for the movie over the years. It has a cult <laughs> following. Yeah. Yet, you know, there's two sides to that coin. But do you think if the name Halloween 3 wasn't on there and it was just Season of the Witch, it may have been a little more successful financially? Um, that's such a great question. And I honestly, I don't know that it would have. I don't know that it would have because... Um, I think it was because it was connected, in all honesty, to Halloween 1 and 2 at that time, that it got any kind of backing, you know, and John Carpenter, executive producer, and, and all of that. So at least people saw it. And, you know, there's so many horror movies. There's so, so, so many and more and more now because they're cheap and they're easy to get made. And, you know, some people think, and some people do make a killing making them because they don't cost much. But I, I actually think having the backing of the Halloween franchise helped. Yeah, and um, I get that from the business standpoint. Yeah, yeah, I really do. So, uh, because, what I love about it, as opposed to the other, I've only seen the first two, is they scare the crap out of me. And I don't like that. And I think there's a lot of gratuitous sex and gratuitous, you know, scaring and all of that kind of, you know, late 70s, early 80s kind of stuff that went on in, in a lot of these kind of movies, which still goes on now into 2020. You know, those kind of horror movies with the girls. Oh, they just happened to be naked. Oh, my God. Had, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and and, and it, it, it's more like the invasion of the body snatchers. It's actually got a story. And I think there's a message to it. Um, and I think there's a lot you can take away from it. So it's a little more thought provoking rather than just shock and awe, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's and my the theme song, And the theme song that gets stuck in your head for And the theme song that gets totally stuck in your head. It's brilliant. That was that was Tommy Lee Wallace, who was amazing. Wonderful director, very creative and a musician as well, and fun to work with. And you know, he's just a great guy. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of which, from what I had read, again, everything online's true. <laughs> Tom Atkins, when you first met him on set, one yeah. of the first things you got into was the bedroom scene. Great yeah. way to say hello, huh? That's right. Hello, how are you? Let's get naked and get some some body paint on us. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, that was that was one of our first days. Yeah, that was awful only because it was so cold. It was so, so cold. It was like six in the morning, the call. And in those days, you know, they didn't have those spray, like spray tanners that they do now that in five minutes, you know, your whole body's covered. In those days, they would take sponges in a big bucket of water with makeup and they would keep reapplying it all over you. So it would take about an hour at least because they had to get everything, um, you know, and if you're bigger and taller, probably an hour and a half. And it was, the water was freezing. And so it was like, it was torture. And then you get into this room and, you know, I had a, um, a no nipple clause from my agents because I'm not going to show my, I hadn't up till then, you know, like what, I'm not going to do it for, for this movie or any movie um, unless it's, you know, a different, different genre and it really calls for it. And so because they had to shoot around my nipple, (laughs) it took an inordinately long time and they had to be incredibly technical you know, okay, so kiss her a quarter of an inch to the left. Nope, 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 a little further up. and Because they didn't want to get the nipple in, but they wanted to make it look like this. You know, those kind of scenes are just awful, usually, because they're so technical. I mean, really not fun. Now, you know, (laughs) the other thing I learned recently, too, was that it was actually a novelization. And was re-released in 84, which made it interesting because of the movie. And the book, second book or re-release was a, a little more popular, that's for sure. You know, I did not know that. Thank yeah. you for teaching me that. I did not know that. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you over the gentleman's name, but he actually used a, a pseudonym and went by the name huh. of, uh, let's see, Jack Martin when he wrote okay. the yeah, I'll send no. that info over to you, in case you Very want. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. But before we wrap, I'm curious to know, because we were talking about early stages and everything else like that with you, in terms of mom and dad and all that, but you mentioned mm-hmm. you have three of your own. Yes. How do you think you've turned out as a mom? Oh, wow. You're asking me about my favorite subject, (laughs) really. Um, You know, I never thought I would have kids because I was married to Barry Bostwick. We got divorced. Uh, Then I had a second marriage. I had a miscarriage, desperately wanted a child. Didn't happen. We broke up. Um, And I was in my mid, late 30s. And I thought, well, time's up. Not going to be having a kid now. Um, But I, you know, I had full faith. I would find somebody and get married. And I met my husband, who is five years younger than I am. So much for me, always, both husbands were older. Woody was significantly older. Perry was older. Five years younger. 
uh, we were fixed up from uh, by somebody on the East Coast and somebody um, in California on the West Coast. And um, right away we knew and he wanted to have a family with me. And I got pregnant literally within weeks of us dating. And during our wedding, I was, you know, this big, <laughs> eight months pregnant. And I know there are a lot of people who probably went, ah, she probably just wants to have a kid. It'll never work. And there was always that possibility. And then we had another child and then uh, we adopted our third because I couldn't have, I had many miscarriages and um, really wanted a third because it was the most amazing thing in the world to me to have children and the, the, the greatest blessing. And, um, you know, I, I worked so hard at it. I remember being, um, when I was living in California, um, being in a therapy session, wearing a pro-choice t-shirt and just sobbing, you know, saying, why did they have me? Why did they have me? You know, cause they easily could have had an abortion. Um, you know, and I felt for so many decades that they probably should have because I felt so messed up because I so had no parenting that I, I've worked so hard to be a good mother to my kids, you know, um, overly, maybe overdone it, but I don't think so. And they, you know, I think the mark of it is my son who's 19, he's in college. He, you know, he, he. FaceTimes me every night, asks me about, you know, girl questions. Should I this? Okay, I got this. He's gorgeous and he's got all these girls. And he asks my advice and my daughter does and my younger one. So I feel very blessed, you know, that they see me, that they can turn to me and I'm a hell of a lot older than they are. But, you know, um, that to me, you know, was the, is the greatest role ever. But so. do you think you left a good example for them all, when the story's all done? Yeah. They could say, Mom. How to be a good mother? Yes. Yeah. Mom yeah. did a good job there. Yeah. Because I have been there for them for everything, unlike my mom, who left me to my own devices. Um, and, you know, I think when we're left to our own devices, a lot of us can be pretty self destructive because we don't know better. Um, and that was, you know, my journey, you know? Um, so yeah, so that, that's, um, you're really good. Then you ask good questions, Thank you, you. Know, Elaine. but you know, um, yeah, because that's, uh, that was, that meant everything to me. I knew I would never have children unless I was really ready. And I didn't want to do that and create another cycle as I do see with, unfortunately, a lot of my clients, you know, almost all these women have lost their children and their parents, their moms were addicts and here now they're addicts and their kids are living with their, their mother or in foster care or whatever. And it pains me so much to see that, that there's not the learning happening, the changing of the cycle, you know, um, so it's like with Trump, you know, if you read the book, did you read the book by his niece? No, not yet, but yeah. I want to. Well, it's, you know, the dad was just a, an awful, awful, nasty, horrible human being. And, and then you get another one and nothing changes. And I can tell his three, at least three of the four or five, he's got five or just 
incredible narcissists like him. You know, you want to see change. You want to see things get better, you know, or else don't do it at all. Well, you know what? You bring up a good point there. Do you think there's a way from what you've learned over time and what you're doing now uh, of breaking the cycle? Oh, absolutely. If you're conscious of what made things wrong to begin with or off or, or painful, um, yeah, you do everything you can to, to do the opposite or to do something different. Yeah, you have to, but you have to have that awareness, right? Yeah. Which is everything. I think it's, and I know a couple of people who had some serious issues yeah and previous guests and stuff and they said what worked for them were like say or how do i put this rehab and stuff didn't work for them right away yeah but what they learned as they were going through the process was more so treating the source of the issues oh of course. so like you said we were talking about earlier mental health and mm. everything having it treating the mental health issue to fix the, the oh, yes. you know what I mean? Yes. That vicious cycle. Right. Right. Well, as I tell my clients and they know this, but you know, the reason anybody drinks or does drugs is to avoid those feelings, those feelings that we don't like, whether it's of loneliness or anxiety or fear or jealousy, whatever those feelings are, that rather than really feel them, we it's easier to numb it out and, and distract and do something else. And so once you can get to the source, like you're talking about, or you're saying these other people have found, once you find that, that's 90% of the work, because then you can really start from there, because you can you can deal with that and you don't have to cope the same way drinking doing drugs they're coping strategies overeating or starving yourself as i did and you know or over exercising or sleeping with 10 different men or you know that's all so we don't feel or think about things that are you know really deeply painful to us and it's easy to just distract so, but then that becomes a problem in and of itself, certainly with drugs and alcohol, that yeah. addictive factor, right? Where, you know, that then becomes the problem. That's where the focus is. So yes, you have to treat that first, but then you got to go underneath and go, what the hell? Or else you just repeat it. And that's, yeah. you know, and my dad never, unfortunately, never got to that, you know, incredible low self-esteem and anxiety that he suffered from that I see in a lot of his letters um, where he would keep talking about that. You know, he, if you don't get to that and that that's the real treatment. If you don't get to that, you're just going to keep repeating. And you know, yeah, fortunate. The people I'm thinking about had that same revelation. Like once mm -hmm. they found that source, then it was like, ah, uh, then they were able to, you know, take two steps forward. Right. Right. So, yeah. but if folks want to find you, uh, social media or anything like that, how would they do so? Well, I'm on Facebook 
And you know that, right? I'm on Facebook. (laughs) And I I think that's, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I don't even know the Twitter handle. Maybe you know it. I don't even know it. We'll find um, it. <laughs> okay. I know my husband set up the account, but. Oh, that's good. Trust so, him. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's the only way to find me now. And at some point I'll be working on my memoirs, but not at the moment. But I have a lot of stories, you know, that I want to tell and share and help others because, you know, we're all in this together. We're all in this together, you know. You know, it's funny. Never mind. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say. You you ever do, we heard this earlier, Elena. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, do you do conventions, Stacey? Yeah, I go to the conventions. Yeah. That's so much fun to meet all the fans. I love that because I'm a real people person. And the, the horror fans are amazing and all very interesting and intelligent. And a lot of them are science nerds, and I love that. So it's, it's really fun. Yeah. Well... Thank you so much. And thank you. You're truly a wonderful interviewer. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out to contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Hi there, this is Barbie Wilde. I'm best known for playing the female Cenobite in Hellbound Hellraiser 2. You're listening to Crazy Train Radio.